the study of the Word of God isn't bringing joy into your life, something is radically wrong. That's what Dr. J. Vernon McGee tells us today as we continue our study of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you to another great adventure in God's Word. As you grab your Bible and find your way to Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to share a few letters from our fellow passengers on the Bible bus. First is a letter from a listener of our Benjara language broadcast in India. I'm 71 years old. My family has worshipped idols since the time of our forefathers. I perform many rituals and rites to please the gods and spend lots of money on them. However, I found no peace. Even the sacrifice of goats and sheep yielded no results. Throughout my life, no one taught me about true divinity. I, too, failed to teach my five sons the truth. When my younger son was a student, he contracted a strange illness. That was when we happened to listen to your program. We were surprised to find your broadcast in our mother tongue. One of the first things we heard was, Jesus Christ is the true God. Are you yielding to him in these days of agony and despair? The wounded hands of Jesus will heal your sickness. This is the right time to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day of salvation. Immediately, my heart was moved by these words, and I wanted to know more. Soon after, we began to pray and believe, and to our joy and surprise, the Lord Jesus healed my son. To us, the radio is our church. There are no churches nearby. We've stopped worshiping idols. While listening to the messages from the book of Job, we were inspired to talk to you. Thanks for praying for us on the phone. As for me and my family, there is no other God than Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. We choose to follow him for the rest of our lives. Wow, what a wonderful reminder of the power of God's word. And then here's another great note. This one's from a listener a little closer to home. Lynn in Minnesota emailed us. I'm so glad that our merciful God reached out to me and made me his own by paying the price for my sin with his own son. I was raised in a Christian family, and God walked with me as I married, finished college, raised a family, and had a successful career. It seems as if I was living the American dream, but cracks from sin in my life surfaced in the form of alcohol abuse and physical ailments. When God lovingly forced me to put aside material rewards and focus on my Savior by building a new life around Him, I finally found true peace and regained my health. Our abundance in America can be both a blessing and a curse. I was successful materialistically, but it caused me to look inward instead of upward and outward toward my Savior. Listening to Dr. McGee each morning gives me a biblical foundation that does not crack. Praise God for His Word and praise God for all of you. Well, Lynn, thanks so much for your letter. I agree, starting each day in God's Word is so important. It makes such a difference. And what about you? What are you learning as we go through God's Word together? Well, you know we'd love to hear from you, so why don't you write to us today at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. You can email us at BibleBus at ttb.org, or you can always call 1-800-65-BIBLE, or just leave a post on our Facebook page. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that transforms our lives. Would you teach us today about the joy that's available to us as we devote ourselves to knowing you better? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now is our study of Nehemiah 8 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we saw last time here in Nehemiah the fact that there had been adequate preparation made by Nehemiah after the walls were completed, that they be guarded, the city be guarded, 
And then that there be singers, because he wanted them to have the joy of the Lord. Now, how does joy come? Well, now notice what he does here in the 8th chapter. We're told that all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now, Ezra, who was a scribe, is called in. And they are going to have a great Bible reading. Notice this that follows now. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Now, you'll notice that only those that were gathered together with understanding, that could hear with understanding, that means they had a nursery and they didn't have any crying babies. And I do not know where the nursery was, but maybe Nehemiah took care of them. I don't know. But I tell you, he made adequate preparation. You may be sure. Now, in verse 3, we're told that Ezra read therein, that is, in the book of the law of Moses, before the street that was before the water gate. Now, you'll recall it when we went through the gates of Jerusalem. The water gate represented the Word of God. Now, they put a pulpit by the water gate, and there is where he read. And he read from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. Now, I do not know where I could get a congregation that would listen to me read from the Bible from the morning until midday. They always had difficulty of listening for 45 minutes. And I think, though, that some had the impression that it was like the two ladies walking out of the church after the morning service. One said to the other one, says, my, that preacher certainly preaches a long time. And the other said, no, he really doesn't preach a long time. It just seems like it's a long time. Well, a great many people thought 45 minutes seemed pretty long. But notice here, he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. Now, the reason for that was that many of these people during the 70 years of captivity had never heard the Word of God. They hadn't heard it read, and this was really a new experience for them. And we're told here now, Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And we're told beside him stood Mediphiah and Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand. On his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. These were the men that stood with him. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, they stood for the reading of the law, and that meant they stood during that time. They didn't have a soft, cushioned pew to sit in. 
And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. First of all, let's praise to God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, this means they all went down on all fours, and they just, with their forehead, they touched the ground. And that's the way that they worshiped in that day. Now, here we have another list, and I'm not going to go through this. Maybe I should, because these were very important individuals. And Jeshua, and Benai, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, Akub, and Shabbatai, and Hodijah, Maaseah, Kalita, and Azariah, and Jezebel, Hanan, and Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now, here is something that I want you to notice in particular, because seems to me that it's very important. They had out in this great assembly of all the people that were gathered there by the water gate inside the walls of Jerusalem, why they had these men stationed out in the assembly. And this man, Ezra, the scribe, and the priest, he would read a certain portion of the law. And when he stopped, then each one of these men who was stationed out in the congregation, they would say to their group, did you understand what was read? And most of them nodded their head and said, yes. And maybe some put up their hand and said, now we didn't quite understand what he meant when he talked about this doctrine and that doctrine and the other doctrine. We're not quite sure. What did he mean? And so... This man would explain the reading of the law to them. Then Ezra would read another section, and then they would stop, and then they would have the folk out there ask questions, and it was explained to them. Now, that seems to me to be very important. I wonder today if in our churches we had a great Bible reading we just read. That is, somebody would stand up and read. Then you'd have people stationed out in the congregation, and maybe one man would take this section, another man the other section, and so on. And then they would read in the law. And suppose they read the first chapter of Ephesians today. And they started out, and you wouldn't have to go very far there until you'd encounter that which has been a real problem to the believers today, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, I think when somebody would read that to the congregation, you'd read about five verses, or six verses there, and stop. And then the man or the teacher in that section would say, Now, did you understand that? And I think all the hands would go up. And they'd say, Wait a minute, what does Paul mean when he says, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Is he teaching the doctrine of election there? And what is the doctrine of election? Is it something that the Democrats and Republicans would be interested in? And the very interesting thing is, I don't think either the Democrats or the Republicans or any other party would be interested in that today. They don't seem to manifest very much interest spiritual things. Politicians don't, but a lot of people are today. 
We're in the midst of this spiritual movement. I don't know where it's going, but it's sure on its way. And I trust it'll lead to revival. This one here led to revival. And what happened was that these people that had never heard the word read to them, I can well understand they'd have many questions. And so they just took all the mourning for that. And they did that. And what they did was to cause the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. This is remarkable, by the way, friend. They would ask questions. they say, I didn't quite understand that last verse there, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, that would, I think, clarify a great deal for people today. And I'm not sure but what we're having that kind of a movement on today. That's the reason that we go through the entire Bible, and that's the reason we take up practically every verse and deal with it. I believe personally that's the way it should be done. I do not think this business of taking a text and then going everywhere and preaching the gospel, I don't think that's quite it. And that is the reason that there's been a lot of lack of interest in the Word of God, because it's been handled that way. And I'm not sure but what just to take a text and to just take a theme and launch out into the deep with no thought of ever coming back to the Scripture and explaining it is really doing what the writer in Scripture says, handling the Scripture of God deceitfully. Now, he intends for us to just take it up as it is and attempt to explain it as we go along. And that's exactly what they're doing here. And that is the thing that I think God wants us to do. Now, that's not all. Here's a great lesson for us today. We can talk about methods all you want to. We hear a great deal about the psychological approach. And my great many go out on that tangent. And there are other tangents that they're going out on. I could mention many things. The scholarly tangent of going out. A man, in fact, he's a president of a seminary. Some dear saint, I think, said the wrong thing to him. said, my, you know, we just listened to Donner McGee going through the Bible. And this man, in a very casual manner, says, well, that's one way, I guess, of doing it, but it's certainly not the scholarly way and the proper way to do it. Well, may I say to you that that's the way the Lord's leading us to do it. And I believe that that's the scriptural method. Here it is. You want to know the scriptural method? This is it. They caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. We need to understand what's in the Word of God. God's speaking to us here. Now, here's some more. Verse 8 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now, I have occasion to go into many places and speak, and I've heard the Scripture read in just about every way that is imaginable. Every now and then, some brother gets up and reads it with great emphasis. He reads it as if it's the Word of God he's reading. But too often, some fellow gets up and he ducks his head, and nobody hears him past the third pew to begin with. But he gets up and he reads it like this. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand and read it. Well, may I say to you, I don't like that. 
because that's not doing it the way God said they did it back there. And this is apparently the way that he wanted it done. And Nehemiah puts in that little word, so. These men didn't have a course in homiletics, public speaking, but they believed it was the word of God. And they read it like it was the word of God. That's the way Ezra did it. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly. Make sure people understand what you're reading. And they gave the sense. They gave the meaning of it. And they caused them to understand the reading. Now, I understand that that is what God wants done in church services. And until that's done, I don't care how loud the soloist sang. And I do not care how sweetly the organ is played. And I do not care how flowery the message was. My friend, if the Word of God was not read distinctly, and if the sense of it was not given, and if it didn't cause people to understand, then it was of no avail whatsoever. This is the thing that's all important, friends. Now, will you notice verse 9, And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy under the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, this was a great emotional outburst. My, these people here, very candidly, they hadn't heard the word of God. Many of them, first time they ever heard it in their life. And the word of God here so moved them, and they were moved upon emotionally. And they wept, but I think they wept for joy. And will you notice here, Nehemiah is very careful to say, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. That's social service for you. They talk about the social gospel today. My friend, if the Word of God means something to you, you get something from it, it'll make you want to go out and do something nice for somebody. The thing of it is that it'll make you want to do something for God. They tell a very whimsical little story out here in California. You know, they talk about the Boy Scout doing his good deed, helping an old lady cross the street. Well, they say down here in one of these retirement areas of the senior citizen, a man got up a new type of vitamin, and a little old lady helped two Boy Scouts across the street. My friend, I tell you, the Word of God is a vitamin that's going to make you do your good turn. And I don't know what it'll be, but you'll have to determine that. But it'll cause you to do your good turn. That's what the Word of God does. Now he says here that you're to send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Do something for the poor. For this day is holy under our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you remember Paul said to believers, then he gave the very source of power was joy. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. The secret is prayer, but the source of power is joy. And he said that they were to rejoice. You know, the Word of God is to make you joyful. And that's one reason that my feeling is that there's something wrong if the church service doesn't make you happy, doesn't bless your heart. Over a period of 21 years in downtown Los Angeles, we had the privilege of having 
what was said to be the largest midweek service in America. We went anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 people during that period. Now, I always went out and shook hands. I began that custom to go out on the front porch and shake hands with the folk as they came out. And I could always tell whether the Bible study had been a blessing or not. Sometimes they'd just come out and sort of mumble and shake your hand. Well, you know that night it hadn't really been a blessing. Then somebody comes out there just radiant and they shake your hand and just, oh, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Then you know that it accomplished its purpose. Now, my friend, the Word of God's to bring joy to you. That is the thing that, remember John, when he wrote his first epistle, he said that was one of the reasons that he wrote it. He says, verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 John, he says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And he just doesn't want you to have a little fun. He wants you to have a whole lot of fun reading his word, studying his word. Now, the study of the word of God ought to bring joy into your life. And friend, face up to it. If the study of the word of God is not bringing joy into your life, something's radically wrong with you. You ought to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I want your word to bring joy into my life. And whatever there's between, any cloud between, I want it removed that I may experience the joy of the Lord when we study the word of God. And that will make church going a real happy affair. Have you ever seen a crowd go into a football game? Oh, my, it's like a holiday rejoicing. You ever see them coming into church on Sunday morning? Boy, what a duty, what a burden. And there are a lot of folk there with burdens, but that burden should be lifted in the service, and they should come out with joy in their hearts. Now we are told here, all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. I hope this Bible study makes you happy. A missionary way down on the field, discouraged. Word of God's bringing joy to him. And here is a home, I tell you, about to fall apart. And what's happened there? Word of God's brought joy. Here's a man had bitterness in his heart against me. He listened to some others that are my enemies, apparently. But the Word of God began to work in his life. May I say to you, it'll have an effect on you. And now we are told here, on the second day, verse 13, were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, and Ezra, the scribe, even understand the words of the law. They came back for another service. I never pay much attention. Anybody say to me on Sunday night, oh, this has been a great day. I've been greatly blessed today in a conference. I look for them on Monday night. If they don't come, I wonder what they meant on Sunday night. Now, will you notice, we're told here that they found written in the law, which is commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Verse 16, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booth. You know what they're doing? They're obeying the law, obeying the Word of God. And my friends, one thing to read it and study it and have it bring joy to you, but the joy is going to end unless we begin to obey it, and it has its way with us. My, this is a wonderful chapter. I told you, this is where the through the Bible began. It was right here with Ezra and taking the Word of God the law of Moses began. I don't know how long this went on, but we're told now in the next chapter, my friends, it was revival. <laughs> we'll see that next time. 
Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, the writer says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, no matter who we are or how long we're living, the Bible can reach into the depths of our hearts and show us where to turn. This was the experience of those who listened to Ezra and read the scriptures, and we pray that this is also your experience as we study the Bible together. If it is, we sure hope that you'll invite your family and friends to join us as well. To find out how you can direct them to listen to Through the Bible online or through one of our apps, visit us at ttb.org and check out all the options you've got. Or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can answer any of your questions about this very fruitful ministry. Next time, we're in Nehemiah 9 as we see more great effects that come from reading and studying God's Word. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm happy to be on this journey right alongside you. So I'll save you a seat on the Bible bus next time. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?